Preliminary round is done and dusted and the handball hour is back to bring you a sort of a recap of everything that we've witnessed so far. There's been a lot of games. I don't think between three of us we've seen all of them, but we've seen a lot of them. And boys, how are you feeling now that the preliminary round is uh, behind us? I feel like I've seen enough of them. <laughs> I've seen enough of the preliminary round. It's time to move on. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. The, I, I've done, I think we've all done a great job watching the preliminary round ready for the main round. But, you know, there are some beautiful things that come out of the preliminary rounds, especially things like missed open goals and own goals and uh, red cards that come in 48 seconds. All of that is the beauty of the preliminary round. Chris, talk us through your reaction as uh, Uruguay's Giovanni Capello (laughs) received the ball on a fast break and was very confident, maybe too confident, chucked it right over the bar. Uh, before I do that, I'll just give a little overview of what we're going to do here. Because we're going to do, because Alex, you're going to be here for half of it, then you're going to magically disappear. Because uh, Alex is joining us live from Boston in the USA, making sure to be there for long enough to get his US passport, to be ready for LA 2028. He's changing allegiances. He now believes, he now believes in the US. Uh, now, Alex is going to be here for groups A to D. Then we're going to magically move over to groups E to H with Rasmus Boysen subbing in. What amazing defender for another. Uh, so, yes, you, you asked me about Giovanni Capello. I think we can play the audio as well because it just, it, uh, it speaks for itself. Now an empty net to shoot into, ball over the top, caught on, no! He's missed an open goal. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Oh, no. He shouldn't be laughing. That's... Oh, dear. Poor lad. And he's played so well today, Giovanni Capello. I was devastated for the guy. And now people listening at home can't see what I'm going to show you guys. This is literally when you hear me going... No! I lean back, like, screaming into the air, screaming into the roof of Scandinavium. Because it's, it's, it's everyone's worst nightmare. I've, I've, I've thought about a moment like that in my life. Sometimes I get, like, flashes of, like, oh, my God, imagine if you missed a shot like that. I don't know if you guys have ever had a dream like this. I've had a kind of a recurring dream more when I was more active as a player than I am now, where I'm having a dream and I'm playing a handball match, but no matter what I do, the ball just won't go in the goal. Like, uh, it's just like a recurring dream of, you know, the ball just never going in the goal, no matter what you try. And, like, the worst part of that is an open goal. That never happened in these dreams, but it happened in Giovanni Capello's reality. I used to have the dreams where... No matter what you do, would do, the ball wouldn't stay in your hands. It was just unbelievably slippy. 
And I think that's probably what it felt like came for when he got his hands in that ball and let it let it rip, that it maybe just slipped out of his fingers at the end. But uh, yeah, it's terrible. I, I saw someone uh, quote retweeted him on our Twitter. He didn't like the tweet back. I noticed either. <laughs> I think it's just one to forget. I think it's one yeah. to forget. And, and fair play to him. He, he did score a goal shortly after that. He had a decent game. Um, young left back from Uruguay. Uh, against Brazil and uh, and he scored today against Sweden as well but yeah you just uh, it's hard to live that down I'm glad I've never experienced it so so what's what's worse the an open goal like that or the own goal or self goal that Vuk Lazovic scored for Montenegro where he chucked it into the air, then chucked it over his goalkeeper. I think that was the most impressive own goal I've ever seen in handball. You know, sometimes they do squeak in, but this was just a beautiful lob. lob. (laughs) (laughs) I think the answer to that question is uh, when you imagine what was going through their minds and in in the pit of their stomach when it happened. And Capello's open goal miss was worse. Vuklasovic managed to laugh it off. You know, he was consoled by uh, Naboise Simic uh, quickly afterwards, all was forgiven. But uh, I think Capello just wanted to... I mean, I I think I would have, like, feigned a heart attack or something, or, like, a stroke. <laughs> just a collapse, like, oh, no, I missed the open goal. Something is clearly wrong with my body. Or, like, at least... At, at least, least a hamstring, hamstring injury. At yeah. least a hamstring. Yeah, or a shoulder dislocation, something, anything. But no, he took it like a man, and... Uh, Scored a few minutes later. So it, we, we talk about Group A a little bit That's then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> since since we're, <laughs> we're on Montenegro yeah. there, I think um, Montenegro will be fairly happy with their second place finish just behind Spain and Iran being the third team making it through from that group. I must say though, Chile, who, 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 were, who will go on to the President's Cup now, had actually really good representation of themselves. I mean, they lost by one just to Iran. Uh, 34-26 to Spain and then just by 2 to Montenegro so they, they were really it could have been they were in the mix big time and their top scorer in every single game was Erwin Feuchtmann there you go yeah and he'll still be here in 20 years time <laughs> playing for the Chilean national team but um, he will I think it, is it fair to say that Spain or Spain's topping this group has kind of been flying under the radar about that people somehow a bit like Barcelona People aren't that interested in Spain for the group for the preliminary round. It's kind of more when we get to the main round onwards, because it's been there's been very little traffic I've seen anyway going around about Spain on on Twitter. But the thing is, for me, it's hard. They haven't impressed me in the opening round. You know, their results were. I think they've struggled. They they struggled against Montenegro in that first game. Um, Chile put it to them, and even Iran really held them close for a while. But the thing is, that's what Spain do. They win just about squeezed by Montenegro and then smash France. That's It's just what they do. So it's kind of just hard to gauge it. For me, the interesting thing was that uh, Alex Dushabayev played a lot at playmaker. So I think that's with Canaeus out. But now they got an injury to Ian Tarafeta. So it is going to be Dushabayev in that playmaker position and... He's done well, but it means that it's kind of Garcianda, the new kind of newcomer into the squad at right back. He had a terrible game against uh, Chile. Uh, he really, really struggled. And then on the left side, it's Casado or 
Danny Dushabai. So it just it, that backline just doesn't fill me with confidence, um, especially with the injury to Tarafeta and yeah, you know, Kanaeus come back in, but it's Kanaeus playing in the Swiss League. <laughs> so we all know what that means. <laughs> Semi retirement MVP of the fu- MVP of the final weekend. Are <laughs> we clipping that up oh now? It's uh, it's interesting with Spain now because they are top of, joint top of this main round group alongside France and they've got a much tougher main round to come now. It's going to be a really interesting test. If Wikipedia is to be trusted, and as we just spoke off air before we started recording, Wikipedia is fantastic for this uh, in terms of getting the information out quicker than the, uh, the federations. Spain have Poland up first, uh, which could be a really tricky game for them. Now that Poland are going into the main round with probably nothing to lose. And then Slovenia and then France. Poland. Oh, God. We'll go on to them. We'll go on to them in a minute. (laughs) We'll we'll leave Poland for a little bit. Let's just leave Poland. Yeah, we'll leave them for a little bit. But (laughs) I need to decompress after watching it. (laughs) But uh, the, the the point I'm making is that, you know, Poland were great against. France, this is a this is a similar kind of game for them, I guess, and so there's um, automatically a lot of more lot more pressure on this Spanish team. Uh, they were able to cruise a little bit for this uh, preliminary round after they got the job done on day one against Montenegro. So they have to ramp it up a little bit. Um, and yeah, I mean, honestly, I haven't seen enough of them to even if I watched all sixty minutes of three games, it's difficult to uh, to judge where they are. I think we'll only begin to know when they face the, the main round opposition. But they got the job done here. And to be honest, in the pre-championship uh, podcast we did, we laid it out as, you know, Spain clearly the number one, Montenegro clearly number two. Uh, we did have Chile ahead of Iran. That was wrong. But number one and number two were kind of clearly ahead of the rest. We didn't fully appreciate the magic of Vaslin oh, Vujovic yes. as coach of Iran. His uh, real coaching style came through and uh, Iran were, were not too bad. Even after that first win against Chile, which was, you know, huge for them. This, you know, it's a huge victory. The the comment that he had afterwards was, I don't think we deserved this win. <laughs> we played maybe maximum 30% of our potential. That, that was the reaction after Iran got <laughs> potentially one of the biggest wins of all time in their history. But that's exactly what Aslan Buvic is. Yeah, he's a man of standards, you know. He doesn't care about writing history. Did you, did you hear the... Uh, There's a few tweets about this, uh, his timeout talk with... Uh, uh, I think it was in the second game against Montenegro. And he was just like, right, you get the ball... Five seconds, and then you shoot like Kim Anderson. I <laughs> just like I wonder if his his tactical approach is just showing all of these players, like uh, the Iranian players, brilliant European players players over the years, saying this is what you're going to be: shoot like him. This is what you're going to be: run like him. This is Adrian Shipos. You punch him in the face like him. And uh, <laughs> uh, but hey, they're through. Iran making history, and they get into the the main round. And, uh, you know, a uh, scalp or two could be on the way. Well, one scalp could be on the way against Poland. 
Group B then we have France, Slovenia, Poland and uh, Saudi Arabia heading to the President's Cup. I think it's probably fair to say France seem like an almost a similar position to what Spain were in Group A. It's, it's kind of hard to know what to, uh, to make of them until maybe they're under a bit more pressure. Um, their opening game against Poland obviously really tough and then I think Poland never really hit those heights again after that amazing performance against France and then had that disastrous game against Slovenia where they lost 23-32. And then just to keep it really interesting... You know, because they want to keep the fans uh, in Poland really excited about the game. They they really kept it close with Saudi Arabia, which I don't even know how is that possible. But uh, fair play to Saudi Arabia, I suppose, for for making a game of it. And uh, the Poland only won by three in the end, twenty seven twenty four. Uh, so yeah, what do you make generally of of Group B? I think I I, I think it's very impressive um, from Slovenia, and then. I think it's a pretty good test that France fairly comfortably beat Slovenia. Uh, I, I think it's a good sign uh, for France going forward in the competition. I was a little bit worried about France. I'm still a little bit worried about France, um, about their overall ability. <laughs> it's uh, What can I say? It's still France. But uh, again, beating Slovenia very comfortably gave me a bit more confidence in them. And I, I kind of now feel more comfortable about them being in that semi-final contention and medal contention. And that's just down to that win against Slovenia. So it's, I think before that, I was hard to judge. After it, I, I feel a bit more comfortable. Remily was fantastic in that game against Slovenia. Seven goals, seven assists, a true playmaker performance. And Kantamai is just doing fantastic things. So I like that. I know. I mean, it wasn't you know a two goal lead at halftime, four goal win at at full time. That is not um, that's not a hundred percent straightforward. That's that's a challenge. And and Slovenia have you know for a team that didn't qualify, a team that had to get a wild card. In fact, both wild card teams have been impressive. The the Dutch as well um, have been good. And Alex Vla, we we hoped, we tipped him. To step up and and he's having a championship so far. He was really really good against Poland and nine goals uh, today against France. Have you guys heard of the Zorman Libero? Oh yes. Have you have you have you seen that? Oh, yet? I've been waiting to dive in. I mean, I, I I specifically watched back the Poland game, uh, Poland Slovenia game to to watch it. Take us through it, Alex. So the Zorman Libero is a new attacking style that uh, Zorman, the the head coach of Slovenia, has come up when you have an advantage of a player. So opposing team gets two minutes and you might think, you know, okay, maybe add an extra player. But Zorman noticed that in the games leading up to the championship, the line player was just getting in the way. Big Blaž Blagatinček was just eating up loads of space for the quick and fast Slovenian playmakers. So what he did was, here, Blaj, stand in your own half. Go long, Blaj. <laughs> Go long. <laughs> you just chill out in the back here. You you know, block off any uh, empty net at, or any fast break attempts that might happen. We're going to go five versus five in lots of space. We have you know, Blaz Jans, we have Vla, we've got these amazing quick one-on-one players and we're just going to beat every team. And then they just, they scored five from five in 
majority against Poland. Um, I didn't, I don't know the stats against France, but seeing as it was a close game, I'm going to presume that they they did pretty well with the Zorman Libero as well, and it and it works. It's just you know, lots of space, uh, and the Slovenian team can just take advantage of that. Yeah, the funniest part is that you wouldn't go, oh, we put someone else on the wing. No, no, we'll just you just go along because they wouldn't trust him to shoot from the wing anyway, so he can't be bothered. So you just stand over there, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Genius. Love to see it. I mean, for for a yeah. team team like that, very few teams it could work with. There there are a couple of other teams I can imagine it would work with, but not many. And and yeah, when your whole team is a bunch of playmakers uh, that can outrun uh, most people one on one, or at least. Uh, if they're not going to do it, create space for others to do it. Yeah, brilliant. Fair play to Rosh Zorman. He's uh, a tactical innovator. Is this one of those things that now that we'll, we'll say this now and someone will come on, oh no, back in the 1960s, we played this all the time. Is this going to be an old an old school thing that we just have never seen before with our young handball eyes? I don't think we've ever seen a player just standing in his <laughs> own half. Like an outfield player no. standing yeah, in his own true. half, just chilling out while his mates are running around. I, I, I doubt um, that has been played before. But I also lost my whole reputation, mm. uh, my ha- handball knowledge reputation, uh, because, I don't know, in the last episode, I put my whole reputation on the fact that an English-speaking country has not taken two points in the World Championship before in the group stage and our friend of the podcast and uh, Patreon member type Ramadani message saying that in 2003, Australia did get a win against Greenland in, in the group stage when the group, there was four groups of six. Um, and that's what I didn't account for. So anything I say, don't trust me after that. (laughs) But for now, we'll accept it as the Zorman uh, Libero. Let's talk quickly about Poland um, before we go. It all seemed so... I mean, in the last podcast, you guys spoke to uh, Tomasz Gembala. He, he seemed so hopeful. That game against France gave a lot of good vibes, and then they shot the bed against Slovenia, well and truly. It was like they had 50 minutes. They've played 50 minutes of uh, incredible handball so far. And the la- those last 10 minutes against France is what they look like for the rest of the games that they've played, where they all of a sudden the, the young and exciting backcourt that kind of looked really a little bit rough around the edges, but they were now and then taking some wacky shots, but it was working out against France. But in the other games, then it just, that it, this, it was the worst side of that. So, it, I mean, Take out Simon Shishko and um, Morito out from that team, and all of a sudden it becomes very, very poor. And it's oh, it's it's a it's a tough game for them against Spain. I I can't see, and there's such a confidence knock as well of being pushed all the way by Saudi Arabia the last game at home. It's that's that's a tough thing to come back from. So it's very disappointing for them. But look, it's not over. I'd love to you guys put it down to the pressure of the situation. Like France was kind of pressure free. You know, it was a, a free hit uh, to try and take down the Olympic champions. And then it was like, okay, now we have to start winning games and, and it hit them very differently. I think that's that Slovenian game, they, they just fell apart. I think they just really crumbled as a team in that second half. But the, their attack is just, it's a mess. It's really, there is, there's a real lack of movement. There's a lack of off the ball movement. There's, 
a lack of ingenuity and then they're just missing Shipchak because what they do is kind of they they have a couple of players that are good one on one but they're lobbing these balls up to Macha Kabala and I'm sorry it just it's not Campbell Shipchak they're you know these these small playmakers Eleni Czech going kind of one on one two on two and then chucking balls up and they're just not being caught and it just it takes out a huge portion of their attack and there's not enough ingenuity around that to uh, to make up for it and they can only shoot from one side the left side you know uh, Dacek has been a great mainstay in, in in you know as a small right back but it's 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 difficult to watch and in defense they're also struggling against smaller faster players like Slovenia so they're gonna you know that's why I'm scared for their game against Spain they they could really be found out like Alex Tushabayev could probably do whatever he wants with that Polish defense yeah I mean like Marito and San Francisco they scored 17 goals between them against Saudi Arabia that's 62% of all the goals they scored in the game so it just shows you how kind of well two-dimensional their attack is it's either it's either one or the other and I think Spain will be looking at and licking their lips a bit yeah so it's uh, in main rank group one Spain and France top of the pile four points each Slovenia Montenegro on two points each Poland and Iran on zero points Uh, in the opening day Spain play Poland and France play Montenegro Seems to me, unless uh, Montenegro and Poland can pull off some real miracles in the next couple of days, that it's a, a three-horse race between Spain, France, and Slovenia to go through. It's Slovenia versus Spain on the, the second main round day. That feels like the decisive one for me. Do you see uh, an opportunity for Slovenia here? Hard to predict. This this group hasn't... It, it, this whole group is hard to predict because I think there hasn't been really a team out of all of these in the main round group one that has impressed so far. Maybe France. I think Slovenia have a chance against Spain. I'll say it. I think Slovenia have a real opportunity to get past Spain. I don't know. I think maybe Slovenia is, as we pointed out before the the tournament, defensively maybe a bit small and light. And I think that might be a bit undoing against the big boisterous boys of the Spanish team. So it could be a very similar game to the France game that we saw. Yeah, so I'd, I'd, I'd fancy Spain for that one, I think. Daniel Dushabayev. Or Ale- Daniel Dushabayev. Dushabayev to oh my God, well, maybe. Well, but maybe it is Daniel Dushabayev. But the, yeah. that's the thing. They need Daniel Dushabayev. That's that's the Spain backcourt. It's it's Daniel Dushabayev needs to be a star for them to, to get further and further competition. And I, I'm just not sure of that. I, I trust Alex Vla more than uh, Danny Dushabayev, so... Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see about that. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> we, Chris, we, we, gr- yeah. Gr- Group C. Group C. This is your, your hometown, your bread and butter. Going home every evening. No more hotels in Gothenburg, Sweden, Brazil, Cape Verde, and Uruguay. You were there in the arena for all of these matches. We commented on them. What was your, your general vibe of Sweden's dominance yeah, Sweden's dominance. There was a, a dodgy first half against Brazil uh, where they were put to the test a little bit. They put that behind them. And since then, yeah, they really um, they really cruised. I mean, they've uh, they've looked pretty 
pretty strong. I mean, in the same context as, you know, Spain and France, there's only so much you can garner from a preliminary round. But, you know, Sweden have done very little wrong. They've rotated the entire squad. They've given each of their three goalkeepers an entire match. And the, the winner of that was Tobias Tulin with a 60, was it 68% save rate? 68%. <laughs> Against 21 yeah. of 31. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a performance like that, like where it, the amount of saves versus shot faced is the highest rate. You know, you might have seen 68% before, yeah. but it's not 21 saves. Mm. It was, uh, yeah, it was quite a. I mean, he, he was just having a great time. Uh, Sweden were having a great time for the whole week, to be honest. They, yeah, uh, we could we could dwell on that first half against Brazil, but you know, you can you can afford to have a poor uh, half at the beginning of a championship when you end up winning that match by eight. So there's no point in dwelling on it. Um, I think, on reflection, it's one of the weakest groups in the whole championship. Uh, the Brazil Cape uh, Verde match was really good today. That was quite exciting. Um, Brazil came out uh, thirty twenty eight winners, and yeah, I've kind of I've liked both of these teams. They're they're scrappy teams. They don't always do things the easy way or the right way, but they they have fun doing it, and I had fun watching them every step of the way. So I, I, it'll be really interesting to see how they do coming up against the. The big European teams coming from uh, coming from Kruhanstad, uh in Group D. Sweden have a huge advantage now. Uh, that's all I can say with the, the three teams coming from uh, the other group on two points. I don't think they're going to mess this up. Uh, they look very smooth. Jim Gofferson is in good form. He, he took one game by the scruff of the neck when he needed to. Besides that, uh, he's kind of just played it a little bit and then sat and let the rest of the guys do the job um everyone's in seems in pretty good form and uh yeah it's coming home (laughs) (laughs) but i think that they're the two so i think sweden and denmark have both had a nice nice slow start to the tournament where they've just flexed their muscles stretched a little bit you know done those little turning stretches maybe touch the toes a little bit yeah. uh let let their boys run out there get let everyone get like a debut goal and have a, a fantastic performance and then we'll see what happens in the next one yeah. i think for sweden they are going getting thrown into the wolves yeah. of that fantastic group d yeah. um i think by far, we, we said it was going to be the best group uh, in the competition in the preliminary round, and it really lived up to the hype. Uh, even just a little point on South Korea, who uh, were actually quite exciting uh, at times, and they challenged every team for 40 to 50 minutes, but were just inexperienced. But uh, ignoring them, uh, Group D really just lived up to the hype. Are you worried, Brian, as a huge Icelandic supporter? No, not what, not at all. No, it's still all on track. One, one bad game. Um, one, actually, not, it, I mean, they were absolutely smacking and spanking Hungary for most of that game as well. It was just an absolute one of those fluke moments. And I feel like every team that wins gold, anyway, always has one of those games early in the preliminary round where they learn their lessons. And that's the problem with Sweden and Denmark that will have no lessons to learn from, and they're coming in a bit too soft now. 
as you said, as you said, Alex, all those little soft warm-ups or that little penalty you take inside this the six meter, which I don't know, does anyone have a name for that game that every single handball team does warming up? The little fake penalty trick shot thing. I I never liked that playing handball, <laughs> but every single team does it. And I don't know why. Or they start playing red ass. I don't know. It's such a strange sport, really, to play football, <laughs> warming up for a handball match. <laughs> uh, but yes, no, I'm not worried about Iceland. I think they'll they'll uh, they'll still come good. I've I've lots of confidence for them. But didn't we say before the tournament that all of these teams are going to be? I think as you, Chris, said that these teams are all going to trade wins and losses and end up on four points each. I think Alex predicted that from uh, Group A with, uh, with <laughs> yes, yeah, that that was it. I I, was I it. had no faith in, uh, and I'm, I know we have a strong Hungarian following, and I, I apologize. No, and actually, no, I did did have faith that they, under no pressure, would play well. I didn't think they would beat Iceland, but I think <laughs> I, I felt, you know, this, it is so it's so classic Hungary. A year on from a disastrous home championship where there was all this anticipation that they would pull off something. I mean, that they would have the potential to pull off something. Watching that five minute spell at the end of the Iceland Hungary game was so bizarre because Iceland, well, there were five goals ahead at one point. There's an 11 3 run by Hungary to finish off the game. Yeah, and the 5 0 run from three goals down to two goals up just felt so nonchalant from everyone involved. It was just kind of, ha- it just kind of happened, you know? Like, uh, Bjarki Morelison missed two shots. He was nine from 11, and then he missed two. And it's like, oh, it's okay. But wait, no, it's not okay. We're losing by two now. Oh, shit. Like, we gotta, we gotta get going here. And then it's too late. That was, that was a really weird game. Very, very odd. I, I did mention after our first game was I, I flagged that Magnuson had played 60 minutes. And that actually, in the end, Palmerson played 53 minutes in that first game. And Chris Janssen played every attack, pretty much. And then they ran out of steam against Hungary. Do, but my question is, do you think they actually ran out of steam? Was it a physical or was it more of a mental issue? I felt like, for me, it felt like a complete mental breakdown. Just that, do you know that the crushing momentum that you have? I think it's probably more crushing in handball than anything else when someone starts to chase you like that and just, and the and the clock is ticking down and it was just a bit panic stations. And also their shooting just turned into absolute muck as well. Yeah. Um, Bjarki, who was so reliable for the whole game, then all of a sudden starts missing shots and kind of just lost their heads a bit. And everything seemed to go uh, Hungary's way as well, which I don't. I, yeah, I don't think you could put down that physical. I mean, that they were fine. Like <laughs> they just were, like you don't go from fine to zero fitness wise, but you can do that mentally. And um, yeah, it was some kind of collective brain fart, um, which could could really punish them. Yeah, I just I just wonder if like having those other options and putting them on when things go wrong maybe something iceland didn't expect to do so like to not be in that insane situation but when things are going wrong when the the team isn't firing you know changing things up and that's that's something that iceland didn't do and you know in their last game of the group stage um they they destroyed South Korea but there was you know there's good performances by a lot of those kind of second um second level players for Iceland and I wonder if they will just get a bit more of an opportunity as the term goes on 
and if they need to do that. Yeah, I mean, did they rotated basically. they rotated the squad pretty well today uh, against South Korea. Odin Thor Rickardson scored eleven goals. Uh, Smarison scored four goals. You know, they spread it out pretty well. Viggo Christiansen with six. Uh, Vidderson with two. Arneson with two as well. So they, you know, Magnuson I don't think played at all. Yeah, they left it a little too late to do that. It might be a, li- a good reminder that these players can do it because they, you know, a 13 goal win over Korea is not to be sniffed at, you know. So, yeah, they, it just puts them in a, in a pretty, pretty tricky situation, seeing as, um, as you know, Portugal all of a sudden uh, looking pretty good. Portugal, <laughs> Portugal are looking fantastic. Ah. Yeah. Oh. Kiko Costa absolutely breaking Adrian Chipos. Oh, it was can can we just can we wrap that award up already? Can we just kind of <laughs> it's coming home. You're singing it's coming home, Chris. It's but the only thing home. that's truly coming home is the Adrian Chipos Award for Excellence in Shithousery because he got a red card after 48 seconds after Kiko Costa. Gave him a little shoulder wiggle, got past him, and uh, he just couldn't catch up. Yeah, I had to, even though I was doing the, the Sweden-Uruguay game, I had a chance between five counter-attack goals or so to, you know, look at some replays, and no, I didn't. <laughs> I went uh, at half time and had a look uh, at what happened, because I couldn't believe it. I was like, surely he's committed something really terrible. It's not even that bad. It's like, it's very shithousery, because it's the kind of thing that... I bet he thought he could get away with because he jumps up to try and block the shot. Kiko Costa then, you know, uh, goes down. He's going to bounce and go around him. Shibosh is like, oh, I'll just, you know, drop the right arm and get catch him. And he doesn't get away with it, though. The referees go to the video replay. And we say 48 seconds, but they didn't actually really start playing until 25 seconds into the game. <laughs> So the, the first 25 seconds is like they're passing the ball oh, can, to each other. There's some high can fives. Can I just say that, that uh, that's getting ridiculous. I, yeah. I'm, I'm sick of it. I, I'm sick of it. I'm done with it. Like, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. You know, 25 seconds of the game and they've already, they've already lined up and high-fived each other to say hello. Every single player has five, high-fived each other. The, the build-up takes 10, 15 minutes. Then they set up and they're like, hey, mate, how are you doing? Let's, yeah. It's like they have, you know, those NBA handshakes. I wouldn't be surprised if soon we're going to see like a handshake that's like 10 seconds long between two opposing players and the ball is juggling between them. And the ball now bounces between three or four players. Everyone gets a nice feel of the ball. And then, OK, here we go. Yeah, but sick of it. The problem is, Alex, though, you're in the arena and you're watching that and all that, all that handshakes and people passing the ball over, teams passing the ball over and back to each other and everyone in the crowd's going, oh, love that, love handball. That's handball. Real men, you know, real men. It's not football. So we almost define ourselves by being as, as not like football as possible yeah. or other sports. So like that, that's a thing now that's almost become part of the zeitgeist in, in handball and I think it's not going to go anywhere. Oh, for as, it's going to get longer and longer. I just want a player to, to go for the fast break. Just come on. I that that has I mean, happened. like Milos Vujovic is gonna do that. Like Milos Vujovic would do that. Yeah, I uh, saw today. So between at the Brazil Cape Verde game, uh, the beginning, uh, Tiagos Petras pretended to do it for a second. He got given the ball. <laughs> he was like, Whoa. then he actually passed it to a teammate, and then they pass it back to, uh, to Cape Verde. But 
It's nonsense. Yeah, the best of this was was Antonio Orea on the the near side on the right wing for Portugal and Mate Lecoy who's defending on the wing uh for hungary they're literally having a chat for 15 seconds you know <laughs> on the ball is like going around so they probably barely even stopped talking by the time adrian shipos has knocked uh, kiko costa out <laughs> it was, uh, I, the, the best part thing is like adrian shipos probably like 10 seconds before that was like oh cheers mate yeah thanks for the ball yeah how are you doing and then 10 seconds later he's nailing someone he's and then he's up in the stands 15 seconds later it's just like that that has to get the award i think but i would say kiko costa is another guy who could be up for getting the shit the award as well because the amount of stuff he gets away with pulling shorts pulling jerseys getting people riled up like he really annoys people on the court but i don't know i love it like i'm all for it like, uh there's one final thing in that red card um because not much to talk about in that Portugal uh, Hungary game, it seems. Brian, you said you could barely keep your eyes open. Um, but yeah. uh, so the referees actually go to Chema Rodriguez to give him the decision before they go over. He describes it, and Chema's just like <laughs> nods his head in like silent <laughs> acceptance, is like, Yes, it is. Adrian Shibosh. So, <laughs> a shout out to Eugene Lavery, who on Twitter is really pushing us to interview Adrian. Uh, he is going to be in Gothenburg now for a week, so I I will try to uh, to get a chat with him and uh, and see see what see what he says. It might be might be an interesting one uh, we, if we can if I can get him to a point where I feel comfortable enough describing the award to him. <laughs> But isn't isn't this t- tournament the most Hungarian tournament? I think if you're going to look up for like a definition, a blueprint, a blueprint of what are Hungary like at events at our final tournaments? A surprise win, getting absolutely th- scoring three goals in twenty minutes against uh, Portugal, and then Adrian Shipos getting one of the most entertaining red cards of the whole tournament. I mean, that's basically what you ex- get to expect from Hungary at final tournaments. Well, what what does that mean for the main round now? So they're in this main round, level on points and second place. This this main round group is really exciting for me. So Sweden, top yeah. of the pile on four points. Then it's Portugal, Iceland, Hungary, Brazil, all on two. And then Cape Verde on zero. How do you think it's going to go, Brian? Who's your money on here now to, well, assuming Sweden are going to go through? Uh, if you assume that, who's going to join them? I think I agree with you that it's very difficult to see Sweden not not keeping that top spot. Um, uh, I mean, the first game against Hungary. Uh, I mean, <laughs> everything was everything said about Hungary so far that that would be just classic if Hungary came out then and beat <laughs> exactly. Sweden. But no, I think Sweden will top the, top the group, and I'd imagine on the on the opening day it'll be Portugal and Iceland to take take victories there. Some of the, what's really one of the crunch games, possibly. Well, the Iceland Sweden game will be very interesting. I think yeah. that's going to be. I mean, uh, strap yourselves in for that one because that's going to be a very entertaining one. Yeah, then in the final day as well, Sweden might be home and dry by that stage, but uh, Sweden Portugal on the last day also might be a good one. Because you remember uh, the women's Euro in November, it was uh, it was like between Sweden and Denmark, which team would join Norway in the semi-finals from that group and it was like okay it's going to come down to who can get a result against the top team and if nobody does then it was like this surprisingly good situation for sweden based on goal difference portugal are that team now so portugal uh, in the three-way tie with iceland and hungary are in the lead 
So if nothing changes, Sweden beats all of them, and those three teams beat the the teams uh, the other teams in the group, then it's uh, it's Portugal to go through uh, without having to beat Sweden. So Iceland need a result to to give themselves a chance. And yeah, twentieth of January, uh, Iceland Sweden, that's going to be huge. So you spoke to someone after the some of the games today. Is that what yes. you yeah. said there? So um, we can wrap up there this half of the the draw. And uh, before we bring Rasmus in, I had a chance to speak to Mister Dependable on the Brazil team, Gustavo Rodriguez, uh, to hear what he thought of the victory over Cape Verde and his expectations for facing the big dogs in the main round. Well, first of all, congratulations. We knew it was going to be a tough game, a close game as well. Uh, how did you feel in those final minutes? It seemed like a lot of nerves and tension for both teams. Yes, of course. It uh, was, uh, was a really good match. With, uh, at the end of the game, it was, uh, was uh, close, but uh, we, had, we had the, the patience and the, the strategy to, to, keep, to, to win the game in the, in the end. And for the most part, the, the attack seemed very composed, particularly when you're in there, you control things very nicely. But when players are missing you know, empty net shots, for example, I think there were five of them that game, it just seemed to add a bit of, a bit of pressure for the team as well. Did you feel it as well, thinking, OK, we should be you know, five, six goals ahead here, but they're just not going away. Yes, uh, we are, we lose uh, these goals without goalkeeper, so it's uh, an uh, it's a easy goal for us. But uh, we have this this feeling could be more, yeah. more, more uh, goals of difference, but uh, it's okay, it happens, it's the game, uh, we will try to get better. And overall, uh, the, the whole week so far has had its up and downs, but you come through with two points, which I think is probably as much as you could have hoped for. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, was uh, the first uh, the first thing to what, what we think to do. I arrived to the main round with the two points. Now uh, we wait to the other group, and uh, we will see uh, what we, we can do to play against the, the three of uh, the, the other group, and we will try to to get the quarterfinals. How do you feel the the last few weeks has gone in general? I mean the pre-tournament warm-up matches there was uh, a few ups and downs really it looked like the team has developed a lot in the last two or three weeks yes yes we we started not so good the preparation to the to the championship but uh, every game every every day we get better so i think uh, we'll be much better for the next uh, three games and uh, if everything goes to plan for you it looks like there could be three teams going through with two points from the other yes. main uh, the other group into the main round which leaves things very open Yes, yes, it's like this. We, we will see this uh, uh, t- tonight. It's uh, tonight, and uh, we will hope uh, the other, the three of the, the other group arrive the, with two points. Like this, we have uh, we have a chance to to arrive to the quarterfinals. And it's always difficult to say right after the game. But do you think of any areas in particular that is is quite pleasing for the team that you think you can hurt the European teams coming over now. Uh, I think uh, we we in Brazil have a, li- a lot of uh, energy. Uh, the defense in these uh, last games uh, is really good. It's tough, so I think uh, we we can start uh, this uh, to get a really good defense. Then after play with uh, we say with happiness in the attack. Uh, every, after everything will be will be good. Good stuff. Thank you, Gustavo. Thank you so much. So for part two of our preliminary round wrap up. We make a, a vital substitution as Rasmus Boysen comes in uh, for Alex Kulash. Rasmus, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks, Chris. We'll pick up where we left off on uh, Group E, 
with Germany, Serbia, Qatar, and Algeria, that group where, uh, well, I'd like to, to get your view on it. First of all, Rasmus, uh, Germany topping the pile after coming through a, a very close game against Serbia. That was the, the key game in the group, I guess you could say. Yeah, for sure. I think that uh, the game between Serbia and and uh, Germany was, as you said, very close. Uh, yeah, uh, Germany had the, the best uh, performance in the goal, which was very vital. Uh, I think that Jupara had a, had a bad day for for Serbia and uh, of course it was bad for them that he had the bad day against the best team uh, and that Milosavljev not uh, was ready to play yet. Um, yeah, Bielem came in, uh, made a great uh, game and I think that Germany is a totally different Germany that we have uh, been seeing for the last two, three, four years. Uh, they play with a lot of speed and creativity offensively, I think. And the main reason for that, uh, in my opinion, is that Yuri Knorr has joined the team finally. Uh, he has been very, very good. My expectations for him were, were so high before the the tournament and I have uh, seen him a lot and he has been so great. So uh, that's great news for, for Germany. I think that Serbia played a very good game. Uh, they also are on the rise, in my opinion. Uh, and as I said, it was a very close game. The two other, uh, Qatar and Algeria, uh, has not been as good as I have hoped for them. Of course, always I would like the non-European uh, teams to to have some good uh, some uh, good uh, games. But uh, Qatar, of course, uh, just before the tournament, they lost uh, their by far uh, most important player and in Frankis Maso and also uh, Rafael Caposa, who who is a very important player, has struggled with some injuries. So that was not so good for them. Um, so uh, I think that, as you said, uh, Germany and Serbia was by far the two uh, greatest team. Everyone was talking about uh, Jori Kunor coming into the tournament and maybe that Alfred Gieselsen himself was maybe getting a bit too excited about, wow, we actually have a centre-back now. And uh, there was a part of the game there where I was thinking, OK, he probably needs to rest now. And that's when Serbia really started to come back into it. He looked visibly tired on the court and maybe everyone's getting a bit carried away with Germany finally having a centre-back. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I agree. But of course, it's, it's difficult to take a, a guy like Jurek out when he's uh, yeah been very good uh, and he had uh, the opportunity in the game after to to get some rest. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, Alfagisa-san also tried to to keep him keep him on the floor. They played some uh, test matches against Iceland before the, the World Championship where he made some errors also in the end of the game. And uh, Gislason told <laughs> actually to the media that it was because of Yuri Knorr that they uh, lost. So, uh, yeah, um, it's always difficult because we also saw with, with Iceland that they also... <laughs> Uh, maybe forgot to to rest some of the players in the match, uh, and that was that was not good for Germany in the end. So uh, it will be uh, very uh, exciting to see because uh, they play uh, with not that much uh, players uh, Germany. So there's a lot of matches, and it's a long World Championship. How will it be when uh, we go to match five or six? That's that will be uh, that will be interesting. Yeah, and those. Uh matches in the main round looking at the group they're going to cross with group f with norway netherlands and argentina going in uh we'll talk about norway netherlands i think a fair bit because that was such a such an interesting game uh, last night as we're recording but just one more bit on serbia before we move on um because a lot of talk before the championship was about the the mentality side of the team it's finally a case where tony girona has gotten his 
main squad together for the most part you know he last year at the european championship they had so many covid cases that really hit them hard i mean same for a lot of teams but serbia were down to you know fourth choice right backs and that kind of thing but it seemed like the 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 mentality side of it was something that people doubted in the team and that did pop up a little bit i feel in those final 10 minutes against germany because they were in a position to you know if you count the the golden opportunities the score that they missed not only get a draw in the end but potentially win it yeah it's difficult i think that uh, serbia uh, they seem like a team now uh, uh, and uh, it was the the small things that uh, decided the match in the end I, I don't think that it was such a thing about mentality uh, not for me uh, i think that they seem stronger they they seem like it's uh, they have the play the, all the players know what to do uh, in the matches uh, and the roles are very clear so i, I can see uh, serbia making some very good results in the main round on to, to Group F then. Uh, so it's Norway, Netherlands, Argentina going through. And uh, just before we, we talk about the, the big dogs in this team, Alex sent us a, a tweet over from uh, Fede Pizarro from the Argentine team. I'm pretty sure you've seen it as well, Rasmus. Nothing nothing passes you on Twitter. Um, but in, in Spanish translated saying, in two years, we've barely had a training session together. Uh, no tours, I, uh, no training camps and uh, non-existent support for a national team that has played in the last three Olympics uh, and was in the top 10 in the world two years ago. Uh, we spoke about that in the, the pre-championship podcast where this team was a whisker away from getting into the quarterfinals. Uh, it never seemed like that was going to be uh, possible here, but they did manage to get into the main round with a pretty comprehensive uh, or very comprehensive win over North Macedonia in the end. Diego Simone, uh, you know, stepping up when he needs to. But all that taken into consideration, the, the tough group they had with Norway and Netherlands, what do you think of the, the Argentina performance so far? But then the main... Uh... The main goal was to to go to the to the um, to the main round, and they had a very difficult draw, <laughs> but uh, yeah, made a very good uh, performance against uh, the North Macedonian team, and I think that uh, they had also thought about that game for a long time, and they knew that they would have a, a hard time against both uh, the Netherlands and and Norway, and I think that we have so, uh, seen that before also with other South American teams. They know when to uh, to play for one hundred percent and one, and when they have to rest. Uh, we saw that with Chile uh, for some uh, World Championship uh, ago. So I think that it was clever by them. I don't see them uh, in the same uh, level as for two, three, four years ago. Uh, they have uh, some new players who will be great in, I think, three, four, five years. But now they, they need to develop. They need to play a lot of matches. And I think that this World Championship, it was so important for them to go to the main round to get these uh, matches against great uh, opponents. So, uh, yeah, a very, very uh, great win against North Macedonia. And they were they were by far the, the greatest team. I think that their defense was very, very good. They were, they were so aggressive. Uh, and they took all the speed out of the slow uh, North Macedonian players. So I think they, they did a very great job. I think we need to talk now about the, the game that everyone was looking forward to was the Dutch versus Norway. We've become very used to that on the women's side, becoming an absolute classic. And it's good to see it now happen a bit more often on the men's side. If had you just watched the first half, 
I think he would have looked at it going 17-13 to the Dutch. They were really starting to run away with it. But then when Norway came out in the second half, they really they really turned around, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Uh, I think that <laughs> throughout almost all the game, uh, the Netherlands did what they have to do. They play fast and they really, really uh, battled the Norwegian defence. I have had my doubts about the Norwegian defense. I don't think they look as good defensively that that they have done for maybe three, four years ago. Uh, and I think that the Netherlands showed how to uh, to make it hard for the Norwegian defense. Uh, the biggest problem for me for the Netherlands is that they play with eight, nine players, and in the end, they didn't have the stamina to to play against Norway, who who has a lot of. Uh, who have a lot of great players so that for me uh, decided the game and it's a, it's a good position finally for Norway to be in that you, you're saying that they have players to choose from because this is exactly the problem for them in recent championships that they also had been relying on eight nine players to to go through um but yeah you have to, have to credit the Netherlands like the the players they did make use of and a lot of talk yesterday about uh, Samir Benya Hanem who Everyone is just perplexed by the fact that he's still playing club handball in Green Park, Alsmere, uh, which I, I, that was even a question last year, I think, in the Euro, because he is he's a great player for just get him. Once he gets his hands on the ball, he's very, very difficult to stop. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. And also in defense, I think he has the physics and that's very important for the Netherlands. Of course, they are not the biggest team, but they also need some some guys in defense to be physically strong. And for them, he is so, so important. And obviously a tough tournament for North Macedonia. I think uh, the choice that Lazarus had to make and bring in a lot of new players in that no one had even heard of before, a lot of debutants, but it really was baptism by fire for them this time out, wasn't it? Yeah, totally. And I think the generational change for them will be very, very difficult. Uh, it's not normal that a, that a nation like North Macedonia uh, have had such a great team uh, that mm -hmm. they did for 10 or 15 years. Now they are back to normal, I think. Uh, North Macedonia will be a team who uh, sometimes will go to the championships and sometimes they won't. Uh, I think that it's... For me, it's a little bit hard to see because that's have always been my second team at the, at the championships. I, I always love their uh, amazing and passionate fans and they play with so much heart in that team. But yeah, it is difficult. I think especially their defense is is not on the, on the top level. They, they, the defense is not just not good enough to to go to the main round. And it's the same for them as, uh, as for Argentina. It's, it's just a, a difficult draw. Uh, for I think three or four other groups, they will they would might might go to the main round, but now they they just ended in a very very difficult group. We talked a lot about it before, like the the squad choices were a bit unusual. There's the, there's the clear line between Lazarov, this uh, alkaloid squad, and the players involved. Um, there was one thinking, oh maybe you know this youthful team will be able to to match or try to match the speed of the they're a speedy opposition. That just wasn't the case. Um, do you think that the that Kira Lazarov will be given, you know, freedom of the country uh, and still, you know, hold on to this job and, and try to develop something there because maybe there's no better alternative than to to stick with him? I think uh, he needs time, and North Macedonia needs time to develop new players. Uh, in the long run, I think they do the the right thing. They they need to 
to uh, have some young players to give them the expectation uh, the the expectations uh, from being at the world championship and uh, yeah it, it's difficult uh, of course the, the the results haven't been uh, good enough uh, for a t- team and a nation like north macedonia uh, like handball is almost religion in some parts of, of that uh, nation but but he needs time for me uh, of course he has he, he has been in the position for two years now i think but but it's a new team uh, and there's a lot of uh, great players retiring at the same time then then it's just difficult so i hope that uh, they will give him time group g is one which for the english-speaking world was a very interesting one with egypt croatia and the united states moving on to the main round maybe we'll start with the united states i think their opening game against morocco was one which kind of took over certain parts of twitter and surprised a lot of people um, were you surprised that they were actually able to get the job done against Morocco on that opening day? I think that they have been a little underrated. Uh, I saw the test matches of them in in Norway before uh, before the World Championship, and I can see that they have uh, potential. Of course, they they are not the strongest team, but defensively, I see a team with a lot of physics, uh, and they have some X factor offensively. I think they uh, they have some great players, and they. Some of the players also playing in Europe and and like that, it's like we sometimes forget that they can play handball and uh, of course Morocco it was a it was very bad for them but yeah I I, I was surprised but not like it, it, for me it was not a sensation. Well, I was talking to Chris before you came on there and I was saying <clears throat> the United States will be looking at this now and had, had I said to you before the whole tournament the United States are going to be in the main round and potentially win two games when you look at Belgium and Bahrain that would be games which they will look at thinking oh, we might have a chance here we're at least going to make a game of, of both of those games hmm. yeah of course it's surprising but for, it's very very good I think uh, uh, of course it's a project for the United States to to try to develop a team who can perform performance in five years uh, it's just good it's just so good for them it's like the same as Argentina uh, it's just a lot of great matches where they can uh, get to know uh, how much it takes to be in the top uh, 12 like in in handball in in the world so i just think it's it's very good uh, and for the development of handball worldwide it's also very very good to to see the united states uh, competing in the world championship yeah and i think there were there were some people maybe on the u.s side and we have a lot of u.s listeners who were getting a little disappointed with the uh the results in the second and third game you know 40 22 against croatia uh 35 16 against egypt but it felt like the you know robert hedin has a certain way he wants his team to play mm. they are playing uh you know high tempo and counter-attack they're playing risky risky passes over and over again they're not you know you could go into this game and, and take an approach which some teams might do we're just going to slow the ball down and we'll lose, I don't know, 29-12 or 29-15, and, and, and it'll be a bit more respectable. But the U.S. are going, they're going balls out, uh, so to speak, and it really, it really hurt them in those games against, uh, against Croatia and Egypt because I think uh, in the first half alone against Egypt, they had 12, uh, 12 turnovers, and nine of those were steals by, by Egypt. But they're they're playing in a way that they that Robert Eden is trying to develop, and it's not going to get results against those big teams straight away. But at least they won't forget who, what they're learning then um, against teams where they could potentially get a result. And he's also giving everyone a run out, which is quite good. 
the whole squad is playing um and uh, so yeah i think it's it's kind of understandable those heavy heavy defeats um what was uh, particularly impressive for me uh, watching this group pretty closely in Jön Shopping uh, was Egypt. I mean, particularly in that first match, um, I spoke to uh, Yehia Eldara and he was quite, um, you know, he spoke about that first game against Croatia and being in a new position where the first game was so, so important for them. But goodness me, did they deliver in that first game? What a bunch of machines they were. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. They have so much physics. And we saw it uh, also before the World Championship again, in France against France. They, they just play uh, very, very good offensively. Uh, of course, the biggest question mark was uh, could they cope with the loss of, uh, of uh, Omar? But uh, they just have a lot of great players, we, and they have a lot of the biggest uh, difference for ten years ago. Now all the players they play in, in very good uh, clubs all around Europe. That's so important that they are used to play against uh, the the European uh, players. And and I see a team who on the day could beat like every team in the world. The biggest uh, question for me is. Uh, if uh, the goalkeepers uh, in the Egypt- Egyptian uh, team is just good enough, I don't know. But offensively, I see them as being on the level as almost every other teams. Uh, and yeah, of course, it's difficult for a team like Egypt uh, to to begin the World Championship with such an uh, interesting and such an important game as against Croatia. Uh, and when they just de- deliver like that, yeah. I'm just full of respect of that. And what do you make of this Croatian team then? Obviously a hugely disappointing first match. And But I think when you look at their squad, they have a very strong starting seven. But it's maybe after that that it starts to fall apart a bit. But I think people coming into it were a little bit unsure. Uh, but they always think that just Croatia can bring some unknown players with them, but they'll still have a strong base there to compete. But uh, they were definitely off the mark in the first game. But do you think do you see them growing into the tournament a bit more or... Where do you put this question? Yeah, I think they'll grow. Uh, the problem for them is that so many of their most important players defensively, they are out of the championship due to due to injuries, and that that takes time to to cope from that. They, of course, Croatia is such a big hammer country, and they need to be uh, disappointed about their performance against Egypt. But when that being said, uh, I think uh, they need time and. It's just difficult when when you <laughs> lost so many players, uh, but uh, they have some <laughs> individually skill, skilled players uh, still world uh, world class players. We saw Lucas Indrić in the uh, latest match uh, on his uh, real level, and of course Duvnyak is so important, but also Karasic and, and Martinovic. So they have the players offensively to to do some damage on uh, against the. A lot of uh, good defenses, and I think that against Denmark, they offensively could have a lot of uh, potential to to score a lot of goals. But I just think that uh, the defense will be their their biggest problem. Mm. That that first game, that's the first game of the main round for both of those teams, Denmark against Croatia. Now, uh, Rasmus, I have a, a rule for myself and i think a lot of people have the same rule at women's championships i never watch norway in the first week at men's championships i never watch denmark <laughs> in the first <laughs> week uh, because <laughs> i do <laughs> you do i know that's for sure that's why it's really good to to have you and, and get your perspective on this um three victories a plus 43 goal difference 
we knew that they were going to get three wins here. They were going to be comfortable wins. So what were you looking out for? And what caught your attention about Denmark and this Group H? Yeah, a lot of things to to be fair. Uh, I think that the philosophy of Nikola, uh, Nikola Jakobsen is the same as always. He uh, wants to give a lot of minutes to his most important players. So uh, a lot of the discussion in Denmark is that he maybe should rest some of the players a little uh, a little uh, earlier in the matches because players like uh, Mikkel Hansen, like Matthias Giesel, like Magnus Saustrup and, and also Simon Pütlik, who, who has been very uh, good and just have had a, a big role, um, also due to the fact that Rasmus Lauge is, uh, is out. But they play a lot of minutes and they play so fast. And of course, it's also a new... Um, a new backcourt uh, who who needs a lot of minutes, but but he he play a lot of minutes with with his uh, biggest and best players, and it will be exciting to see if it, that's the same in the main round. I guess it is. Um, yeah, we I, I'm very impressed by players like Simon Pudlik and Lukas Jørgensen who are new in the team, but it, it feels like they just go in just the same as Matthias Gisel has has done, and it. It feels like the uh, the way and the t- teamwork in the Danish team is so good that it's just easy for the new players to to come in and to be integrated very fast. So uh, that's very good. Uh, so for Denmark, the biggest problem has been the injuries of uh, Rasmus Lauge and now also Henrik Mølgaard. Um, I see some problems uh, defensively. I think that it's difficult to, when when you are just better than the other teams, uh, but uh, also in the, the game against Tunisia, we saw uh, some problems uh, in the men against men duels. Uh, so it will be very exciting to see Denmark against Croatia because Croatia have, uh, as I mentioned before, some great uh, players offensively who who could, uh, yeah, uh, st- uh, it could be a struggle for Denmark uh, defensively. I think that that's the main problem. Uh, but Niklas Lendin. Uh, who have had a who have had a difficult uh, half season in, in Kiel. He he has been on the top again, and that's of course very important for Denmark. Would you be more worried about Croatia or Egypt in the main round? <clears throat> yeah, that's difficult. Uh, I think that uh, offensively, maybe the Croatian team could be more difficult for for Denmark to to play against because they are they are much uh, faster and. And have some uh, individual skills that I don't think that Egypt maybe have, but I think that Egypt <laughs> they are just in on another level that that Croatia. Uh, so mm. for me, I think it will be more difficult against Egypt, uh, and of course it will be difficult for Croatia to go through also by the fact that they just lost with ten goals against Egypt. And if they uh, manage to win against Denmark, they maybe they maybe need to win with like. Five, six, uh, seven goals, and that's uh, for me unrealistic. So, is, is that? Uh, we'll go back to main round group three uh, before we go. But seeing as we're on group four now already, so it's is it is it quite on paper? It looks like the most straightforward group in terms of which teams are going to go through because Egypt, as you alluded to, have already done the job against Croatia, and it'll take something special for Croatia to um, to overthrow Denmark. Is there anyone 
of those other other three teams in the group with Bahrain and Belgium. By the way, Bahrain, Belgium and Tunisia played a nice little uh, three nations tournament uh, while, while Denmark were sl- spanking them uh, <laughs> every other day. Um, but anyone there that can can trouble uh, Egypt, for example, and maybe give them a, a tough time and, and uh, mess up this seemingly uh, easy route to the quarterfinal? Uh, I don't think so. I think uh, Belgium, they look tired. They began the tournament very good, but now they look tired. Uh, and uh, yeah, it will be very, very difficult against Egypt. Uh, Bahrain, they, they they have some skills. Uh, they are physically strong, but I I just don't think that they have the the power to, to beat Egypt. I could see Bahrain, I could see them uh, Give Croatia a hard time, maybe, mm. but but not but not Egypt. Okay, so it's pretty straightforward then. It seems right. Den- Denmark and Egypt uh, going through to the quarterfinals. Uh, that that's also hopefully going to be a, a a cracking game right at the end of the main round. Uh, both teams could already have the the quarterfinals in the bag, so they're facing each other with um, a bit less pressure than uh, at the Olympics and at the World Championship two years ago. Uh, how do you feel this this has become like a, a bit of a modern classic rivalry uh, based on that world championship yeah i think that it's a great game for both of the team before the quarterfinals because especially De- denmark they haven't been uh, challenged yet they might be against croatia but it's it's also important in these uh, world championship to to get some uh, some good uh, games against the tough opponents before the knockout phase so i think that it's a it's a great game for both of them i just uh, i i think it will be exciting to see <laughs> the other group the other main round uh, uh, who will they try to to play against if some of the teams uh, would look at, at the other main round and then then think okay maybe we'll get sweden maybe we'll get portugal iceland uh, uh, so it could be a very uh, exciting game uh, between Denmark and Egypt, in order to see what they would like to face in the in the in the, in the quarterfinals. I don't think I need to remind you what uh, what happened last time Denmark tried to do that a year ago <laughs> when they knocked Iceland out of the championship. I don't and remember. Then, I don't remember. And then got beat in the semi-finals. So <laughs> I don't know if uh, lessons were learned from that or not. Uh, whether they'll be looking at the. I mean, they do have the. Uh, because they're going to be playing uh, their games a day after the other group, they both teams can look at it and say, "Okay, maybe uh, who do we want to face?" I, I, I guess nobody wants to face Sweden at home in the quarterfinal. Uh, whoever else comes through that group will be a tricky team, that's for sure. But uh, I, I don't think anyone who's uh, Swedish, Danish, or a tournament organizer wants to see those two teams in the quarterfinal already. Uh, face off it would be amazing but uh, <laughs> maybe maybe we can save it for later in the championship um, group three then I think that feels a lot more wide open there's so many different ways to look at it basically you know you've got Norway Germany on four points Serbia and Netherlands on two at the moment but it feels to me that, that all of these teams could take points off each other. Yeah, I think so too. I think that the Netherlands, it will be uh, interesting to see if they have like the manpower, uh, if they are getting tired or not. Uh, but on the day, they can beat like almost every team in the world. Uh, the other three teams, they are level-wise very, very close in my opinion. Uh, 
I will, uh, I'm very excited about the game between uh, Norway and uh, and Serbia before, because, of course, it's a very, very important game. But I also think that Serbia, they have some of the things that could give a lot of problems also for Norway, uh, for the Norwegian defense. And I think that maybe also now they have two uh, very, very good goalkeepers. Uh, that's also very important for Serbia. Uh, and that could be a reason why they could get a good result against Norway. Uh, yeah, Germany uh, have also been great, but yeah, I, I think that you're right. There's just a lot of good matches in, in that main <laughs> round, and it will be very, very interesting. And I think that yeah, we'll see some funny results also. Maybe one day uh, some of the teams are just very, very good, and then the other day uh, they don't, they, they just don't have the day. So. Uh, uh, yeah, it's very very difficult to to see who will go to to the next uh, to the to the knockout phase. And when you look at all their top matches that they've had in the preliminary round as well, it's been very hot and cold within the match itself. Like Norway playing for the last fifteen minutes, Germany played for forty five minutes and then took the foot off the gas. Serbia were like could have won it but didn't, and then the Dutch as well had an incredible first half but then kind of fit in the second half so just on that alone it breeds chaos and i hope there's going to be a lot of chaos in this group because uh we, we might need it hmm. so what what two teams do you, you think would you go for brian go through um <laughs> oh god it's oh god, it's actually really hard i think i will probably say i fancy norway i think i actually might stay the way it is i think norway and germany hmm. by you rasmus but that's yeah i also think that but I don't. I don't think the Netherlands uh, will go to the knockout round, but I think that Serbia is the dark horse, and I'm not so sure that Germany. Uh, they. Uh, I. I would say maybe I would say Serbia and Norway. That's what I went for pre-championship. Me too. Now I'm, now I'm not so sure. No, because Nor- Norway Serbia is first in the in the main round, which could be a real killer mm. for Serbia if they lose it. Um, Good point. It feels like the Netherlands Germany is on the twenty first. Whoever wins that could be in a really good position um, because the Dutch will already be up to four points, assuming they beat, beat Qatar. And then yeah, I, I, I'm really looking forward to Netherlands-Germany. I think that's going to be a really cracking game and a, a real test in a different way for the, the Germans if they can... You know, if this team can deal with <laughs> deal with the pains in the ass that Kai Smiths and uh, and Luke Steins, I mean, they're used to used to Kai Smiths from the Bundesliga, but Luke Steins is a, a special pain, uh, as Brian, I think you alluded to on Twitter yesterday. Um, see, I feel I have good good feeling about the Dutch after um, after. What we saw yesterday, they do have to use the squad a lot better, though. I mean, they do have other players in the backcourt who are playing Bundesliga level as well. So there's nothing there that should be like, you know, oh, we can't trust you, Tom Janssen. He's he's playing every week against these these German players. So they, hmm. yeah, I, I yeah, I would like to see Serbia do it, um, but now I'm feeling a bit leaning more towards the the Dutch, but. Uh, that's uh let's see that that's that's a real cracking group that's for sure ideally what we have on, on day one there the dutch and the, and the germans win and serbia beat norway and then we'll go into absolute meltdown for the second round matches then <laughs> <laughs> all right before we let you go there's uh, one more topic we want to bring with up with you seeing as you're officially or unofficially a tv2 reporter right uh during this championship 
That's true. Yeah. Uh, and Brian, uh, Brian, you've uh, you've been having some uh, close and personal contact with uh, TV Two reporters as well. Uh, the way I say it there, that sounds really dirty, but it's it's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with the it's got to, <laughs> it's got to do with the referees. <laughs> yeah, I got sent this this article that I think everyone in the handball community has seen at this stage now about the the alleged um, match fixing by certain referees. Um, so what's where where are you standing with this now? Of course, for for anyone who doesn't know, TV Two brought out uh, an article where. Sport Radar had produced this document, which has led to a certain amount of matches uh, being suspect to match fixing. And TV2 seemingly have more information to come out about this in the, in the coming weeks. But as it stands at the moment, and the EHF's uh, perspective on it, would be that they were also, I think, handed this document and they handed it over to the police. And the police then came to no conclusions or couldn't pin it down in any way. So as it stands at the moment, from the information that we have, EHF handed it over to the police. They couldn't pin it down. EHF did their own investigations. They couldn't really come to any conclusions either. But the thing, or the the smoking gun could be if there's more information to come. And that that's my kind of very rough <laughs> summary of what happened. And where are you standing with it at the moment? Of course, nobody wants this, but... Uh, first of all, I have to be honest that I'm not surprised of it. Uh, it's so bad for handball, but of course, it's just uh, history that repeats itself. Uh, we have seen a lot of this stuff before. Um, for me, the biggest problem uh, is that this uh, report, as it came uh, in the beginning, uh, wasn't uh, revealed. Or they, they needed, uh, the European Handball Federation, in my opinion, needed to to tell uh, the Hamburg world that there was uh, something going on. I don't think that they have to to publish the report, but to tell that there, there have been some investigation uh, related to this, because now it's, <laughs> what, five, six years ago, and mm. you can't do much about it, I think. Uh, but I hope uh, in the end that this will... Yeah, bring some some thoughts about this and try to develop uh, so as we don't see this uh, in the in the future. Uh, I think that it's difficult to say <laughs> some clever things about. First of all, I haven't seen the report uh, in total, and yeah, it's just difficult. Uh, it's just a bad 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 case for handball. Uh, for me, I'm just sad. I feel like it's it's difficult to do anything about it. Uh, so it's just bad. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've thought about this as well in comparison to other sports with, uh, you know how to how the investigation or uh, can be can be proactive in a way and and looking at I mean there's one other sport where this is kind of very at the front at the moment a very different sport snooker <laughs> where in uh, there's there's match match fixing and kind of spot fixing allegations uh, going on in snooker and ten. Chinese players have been uh, suspended while it's happening. So that's a different approach to us where they're like, we have this investigation, kind of like what you suggested there. They're being open about the investigation as it's happening and they're suspending the players um, in the meantime. That's very different to referees being involved. And, and there have been cases in, in the past where players have been uh, accused of, of match fixing as well with the handballs canal and um, articles that came out last year. But um, it, 
I think in a, in a wider case, it's so hard to prove these things because handball is such a, in comparison to snooker, for example, where it's all technical, everything, you know, everything that's supposed to happen, where in handball, it's so chaotic and hectic. There's so much interpretation going on. And there's so much whataboutery, I think, in, in handball as well, because every time a team loses a big game, depending on what part of the world they're from, uh, you know, a, a day later, there's a 10 minute video with all the mistakes the referee made, right? And, and that, that's kind of one of the things that I felt uh, seeing these articles as well. It was like, here's a few examples of it. And it, um, and it kind of going down the same route. So I think if, if there was some kind of proactivity with um, referees being suspended while it's going on, that could be a positive case. But then maybe two weeks later, um, uh, a team gets uh, a defeat where they feel like oh, there was something dodgy there. And then they ask, why, why aren't these referees being suspended? Uh, so it, it's, it's so difficult. And I, I just um, I, I look forward to seeing what else comes from it, because um, I'm pretty sure, you know, Rasmus and, and Brian, you uh, have been told there are more articles to come in this. I hope that this maybe will uh, result in that we give uh, the referees uh, better conditions in the future. I think that that's that's maybe the most important thing. Uh, we need full time referees, uh, mm-hmm. in my opinion. We don't have that in Denmark. We don't have that in most part of Europe. I think that some of the uh, referees in, in Germany and in France are full time. But but we need uh, to give the uh, referees uh, from the beginning of their career, they just need as good uh, conditions as possible. Uh, we need to help them. Handball is such a difficult uh, sport to be a referee in. And of course, the money are not as great as in other sports. Uh, so that gives you maybe an idea on why some of the referees might have done done something like this. I don't know, uh, but I hope that this could be the beginning of better conditions for the referees in the future. That's that's a really good point. Uh, when you, <laughs> maybe not so many people also listening would understand that. You know, you meet referees around the around the countries we're in, around the world, you know, doing Champions League matches where. It's guys who are teachers or uh, running a business and they're, they need to be able to take like two days off work just to go to, um, to referee a Champions League match. And these are guys at the, at the top level or they're working all day remotely somewhere in a hotel and then they have to go and, and, and take care of a top match. So, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. All right, uh, then we'll leave it there for today. Rasmus Boysen, thank you so much for, for joining us and hopefully see you in stockholm but uh if we if we don't see you there then there's a, a very good reason why so take care and uh, and see you soon thank you we see you soon we're going to wrap up in just a moment but before we do that i had a chance to speak to yahia eldera after egypt's last game in the preliminary round here's what he had to say this uh, game you always expected to win, but it's very professional performance. Everyone in the team scored as well in the court, which is a nice thing to see. Uh, how did you approach this game and, and how much did it go to plan for you? Yeah, from the beginning we were taking it like step by step. We finished Croatia, we were on to the next to the Morocco and then USA. Uh, three important games like to get all the team in the rhythm of the tournament and have the feeling of the game and like, okay, each game you have a plan or a certain strategy, you like check the list that you achieved 
and we see how we play together. You try to rotate, you try all the players to engage together, have the chemistry and the bond. I think it's better than training, just to have with players that don't know you and they don't know your tactics and you see, you react and you reflect on the game. So I think we've been doing good in the group stage, but like from this point, the real tournament starts and the big dream is starting right now. We're going to the main round, we'll see who are we going to play against and we're going to be ready for sure. You had your toughest game in the opening game, so professionally done, looking really powerful against Croatia there. Uh, was it then just a case, as you said, of like developing the, the chemistry a little bit, trying out new things? Playing yeah. against Croatia in an opening game in the World Cup, it's like the first time for all of us maybe to like have the first game to be the most important game in the World Cup. Like It's going to decide which you're ranking in the group stage and then the points that you're going to have. So we were well focused for this game. We studied and we prepared well and we had all the motivation in the world just to win this uh, game. In the end, the performance, of course, we didn't know that we're going to perform that well. Uh, but thankfully, we, we did what we had to do as a team together just to win the game. And in the last couple of years, uh, at a world level, people have come to expect a lot more from Egypt because of your performances at the home championship two years ago, at the Olympics last year. Yeah. Uh, but with uh, Yahya Omar getting injured before the tournament, yeah. that seemed to, in a lot of people's eyes, kill the expectations, but not for you guys, it seems. Yeah, okay, Yahya is like one of the best right backs in the world and he's like our key player, maybe he's the top player in our team. So for sure it's bad, but in the end, we're sharing his dream. His dream is ours and we're fighting for him. We're fighting for our dream that we started four years ago, as you said. Um, people are putting so a lot of expectations on us and they are preparing much more and they're respecting us more. So that's why we have to be aware of this, to be well prepared and much uh, be mentally focused and have mental strength until the end of the tournament. Um, as I said, like, okay, it's sometimes it's, it's an error. You have like, very good players, well-educated players, and they they accept the fact that they have to learn and keep learning, and we have a certain style to keep playing. We're not Denmark, we're not France. In the end, we want to win, and we have uh, a mission to do, and we're, we're getting closer. One day it will come for sure. In the end, it's sports. We're enjoying the game, we're enjoying playing together, and we fight until the end. And in the main round group, it looks like it's going to be Bahrain and Belgium. But of course, the, the big one will be Denmark. Yeah. Uh, that game two years ago, the World Championship, was one of the most remarkable, memorable games yeah. of all time. You had a, a quasi, not quite a home crowd uh, with the, the regulations back then. You're going to be facing Denmark in what is basically going to be a home game for them as well. How much are you looking forward to that? Yeah, actually, first, like we have to be smart. We have to think and respect all the teams that we're going to play. We're going to play against Belgium, then Bahrain, and we have to finish these uh, two steps, then prepare to Denmark. For sure, Denmark, they have all the respect in the world. They're one of the best teams in the world. They proved that many times. Our game against Denmark, it became something special every time we play against each other. We played in the Olympics, and now we play against each other. So, okay, we can speak a lot about this game, but we have um, really important two games before we reach Denmark. So until we finish these two games, then we see what we're what's going to happen against Denmark. So for sure they have our respect and for sure we're going to prepare well to have a good game against them and then we see how it ends. Do you feel there's something different in the, the, the team now in between the matches over the last couple or in comparison to the last couple of years? Because you're in these situations over and over again. But do you feel when you're talking amongst each other, when you're talking with the coaching staff, 
Is there a bit of a different um, vibe about the team? The, the positive thing that every year you're sending one player to play in Europe to develop and have the progress and get the exposure over there. So he comes back, he shares his experience with the team. So you have like, you're heavier. Your, your team is like much more experienced with uh, a lot of thoughts and a lot of strategies. So we try to combine all of this and year after year with Roberto, we have the confidence and we, ga we gain the knowledge that he that he has and he's trying to send the, the, this to us to understand the game, to understand ourselves, how we are going to be better and how we can win with our plays, with our style. So it's changing, it's developing as we see, as I told you, like each tournament, two or three players new are introduced and are more engaged and even the experienced players, they become better and they become um, craving more and more. So I think we're in a good pace and we have to act smart, as I said about it. So so I'm thankful for this four years. It's a build-up and it's a step-by-step. Step. So every year, the most important thing that we're better than the year before. Yeah. In the end, the result, what happens, happens. Winning is winning, losing is losing. It's sports. But if we're better than the year before, so we're successful. Yeah, beautifully said. And you're one of the players, you said the guy's going to Europe. You're one who went back to Europe this year with uh, Vesprem. How do you feel personally that that has helped you develop? Actually, it's a privilege uh, to be among this team. It's one of the top European teams. They are final four for the past years so many, many times. Uh, they still want to win and they still want to achieve a lot of things. I'm playing with Yaya, I'm, play I'm playing with legendary players in the team. The strength of the locker room and how the players are together, it's something I've learned and I've seen how they love handball. So I've learned more from them. So being in this team, actually, it it's an addition and it's a life opportunity that I have to take and I'm in progress for sure. I'm still adapting and I'm still trying to uh, be better and better and I will fight for the team and I will fight to, to, to do whatever we want to win this season. Good man, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, yeah, yeah. And uh, that is it. That's our preliminary round wrapped up and a bit more. Brian, how are you feeling on the... Uh, well, now it's already starting today. It, it never stops. Never stops. <clears throat> uh, but I've really enjoyed it so far. It's been some some crazy results. And uh, I feel like there's certain main round groups in there, particularly uh, Germany, Serbia, Netherlands group, which I think is going to be pretty wacky. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Overall, have you enjoyed yourself so far? Oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, I think that group you mentioned there and also the group here in Gothenburg with... Uh, Iceland, Portugal, Hungary, and uh, and Sweden. That's going to yeah. throw up a few wacky things as well, yeah, particularly with Hungary in town, that's for sure. Before we wrap up, uh, a few comments from uh, those of you on our Patreon page as well. There's a question here from Hugo Megens asking also if it's the uh, goal difference overall or teams facing each other, the, the mutual result that decides who goes through in the case of uh, points being level. That's potentially very important here in the main round, and it is due to the mutual result. So uh, not about overall goal difference. That's going to be key heading into the uh, the final days of the main round. Uh, Tim Detmar saying that Egypt and Denmark are locked for the quarterfinals. I think we, we agreed on that as well. Main round groups two and three, as you uh, said, Brian, looking very, very tasty. So I think we can wrap it up there. We'll be back on the weekend as well with a look at how things stand in the main round. But until then, it's goodbye. goodbye.